listeners, I'm Irene Barton, Executive Director of the Cobb Collaborative, and I welcome you to Mind Your Mind Speaks. This is a podcast series that brings together subject matter experts and community leaders to help raise awareness, share resources, and inspire action through recorded conversations about the collaborative's focus areas. Today, we are delighted to welcome Bianca Loveless to the podcast. So for today, we're going to be spending time in our civic engagement initiative area and a little bit in our mental health area. Bianca, welcome to the program. And would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'd be delighted to share uh, a little bit. So uh, my name is Bianca Loveless. Uh, I live in Cobb County with my husband and our two and my dog. And if you are ever uh, wandering around my part of of East Cobb, you will see us walking her very early in the morning. Um, So that's always me and my husband on on Robinson Road over there. If you ever see us, that's us um, walking my little little doggy. Um, I went to the University of Georgia, graduated um, from the University of Georgia in 1999, uh, and then began my career and went back to school several years ago for my master's degree, which I obtained from Mercer. Um, and so that is just a, a, a little bit, a little snippet about me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you've got some deep Georgia roots, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Bianca, I have the pleasure of knowing how passionate you are about redu- reducing abuse and harm to children. And that one of the ways you put that into action is through championing the Be Smart framework. But before we get into that, would you mind? talking a little bit about your background and how you came to to this work. I mean, obviously, from an educational standpoint, I know you you have that that background, but how about your professional life, your professional career? Yes. Um, When I was in school at UGA, um, I was planning to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a prosecuting attorney from the time I was in the third grade. I had decided that's what I wanted to do. And my, I was a criminal justice undergrad and that program required an internship. And I had been pretty lackadaisical about getting my internship in order because I had just planned to go to law school. So I was not really putting a lot of effort into where I was going to do an internship. I was just gonna get it done as part of the requirements for my program. And my internship coordinator at the time, who's still at UGA now, um, it was really kind of riding me pretty hard about getting it together. And I was hemming and hawing And a friend of mine that was in a a criminal law class with me one morning said, hey, you should come to my next class with me. Uh, We have a guest lecturer. And so I sort of tagged her and the guest lecturer was the chief medical examiner for the state of Georgia. Um, And he's now since retired. But um, I went to this lecture and he showed, uh, frankly, a pretty, pretty gory slideshow um, about the autopsy process and about death investigation in general. And a lot of people, most of the people in this class, and there was, it was a standing room only, so many people had come to hear him speak, um, were, were sort of shying away and covering their eyes and gasping at every photo. And yet I found it completely fascinating and immediately fell in love with that work just based on the hour I saw him speak. And so I left that lecture and immediately went to my internship coordinator and said, that's where I want to be. I want to be in the medical examiner's office. Can we do that? And so she helped me track down a a former graduate of the program who was working as an investigator in that office. And uh, 
Um, they had never had a full time uh, in the medical examiner's office. The, uh, the agents that had worked in the field as part of that agency's uh, initiatives had interns, but they had never had one just dedicated to the medical examiner's office. And mm -hmm. so I was the first and I was super excited. And so I came on board and I worked with them through my four month internship. And about halfway through, we realized um, they had gotten okay from the legislature to hire more death investigators when the legislative session, uh, when the fiscal year started. And so they were like, hey, we've already trained you. You've already been through the background in the polygraph, which was pretty extensive for this agency. Um, and they were like, hey, we'd like for you to be one of those death investigators. We're hiring four new people. We'd like for you to be one. So I was, it was pure dumb luck. I was in the right place at the right time. And at that point in my life, I'm old enough that um, I'm older than the CSIs that were on TV. None of that existed <laughs> when I was in school. And so I didn't know what really a medical examiner's office entailed until I started my internship. And so I became a death investigator. Um, my now husband um, graduated shortly thereafter. And he actually moved to Pennsylvania uh, for a job. And I was going to stay put, but then one of the doctors I was working with at my agency moved back to Pennsylvania, which is where he was originally from, and offered me a job up there. And it just so happened it was in the county right next door to where my husband was living. Aww. So it was kind of meant to be. Yes. So I moved up there for 18 months and I did a scene work and I became involved in child fatality review in that county. Uh, child fatality review is a mandate, a federally mandated uh, program that the states must uh, take part in. And so you review all these child deaths that occur and you look at what any agency or court system could do to prevent future deaths like that. Mm -hmm. And so you really dig deep into these child deaths. And I became more and more fascinated um, and sort of engaged in child death work specifically. Moved back to Georgia. Um, I don't know if you know, but it's really cold in Pennsylvania. And I am a warm weather bird, born, born and raised in the South. And so I came back home. Um, and then uh, in 2002-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood in the early 2000s, I was promoted and took over a specialized unit within the medical examiner's office that handled nothing but juvenile death um, and child maltreatment investigations. And I have become um, increasingly passionate about it as I've been doing this work. And I've been a death investigator now for 20 years. Um, I left my agency about six years ago, December will be six years, and um, I was teaching part-time, still teaching part-time, and got my master's degree, um, and then went back to work for the state uh, about two and a half years ago, okay. and um, still very much am engaged in child death work specifically, and looking at all of the different ways that we can prevent those deaths from occurring. Um, you work a lot of really heartbreaking cases. You see people stay, you know, losing a child is perhaps the, the worst thing you can go through. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, you want to be able to help you want to be able to make some change after you see it over and over and over again. So I'm, I, we'll talk about Be Smart today, and I'm very passionate yeah. about gun deaths, but I'm just as passionate about kids, you know, being supervised while they're swimming and yeah, they truly die in unsafe yeah. sleep environments. You know, I, I'm very um, uh, passionate about just trying to help people avoid those tragedies. Mm -hmm. Well, sometime on a different podcast, we'll have to talk about what you and your coworkers do for self care because you <laughs> you see some dark things and I know you have ways yeah. to cope with that but I'm sure um, not everybody does and perhaps there are times when you catch yourself maybe not coping as as well as you think you should be so mm. yeah it wasn't until I was I took the break when I got my master's mm -hmm. degree and then came back to the work that I really sort of got an idea of what my coping mechanisms were and then what needed to change. Mm 
in that arena. So yeah, we, we'll talk about that in a whole different, uh, another, whole different yeah. podcast. Another conversation. So um, we've referenced the, the Be Smart program, and that is a way to normalize conversations about firearms and, and safety, particularly as it relates to children. But before we get into that, Bianca, can you share with us a little bit more about the latest data and research around firearms and children? Yes. So um, we, and, and I'll start this by saying that I myself am a gun owner. I was raised, again, born and raised in the South. And so I was raised around guns. My stepfather, especially, um, is uh, uh, loves firearms. He reads all the books. He used to reload his own ammo. Um, he target practices and, you know, skeet shoots and all of those things. Um, and so I was born and raised around firearms, um, which is another reason I think I'm, I'm passionate about it, because with that, um, that responsibility of owning a firearm also comes the responsibility of making sure that kids can't get their hands on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are um, about 30 million children in this country that are living in homes with firearms in the United States. So a huge portion of the children in this country um, live in a home with firearms. Um, in Georgia specifically, um, almost 1,900, uh, you know, closing in on 1,900 uh, children died from gunshots in 2021 per the CDC. Um, so we have a, a pretty high percentage. Um, we um, uh, to bring those numbers down, which is what the Be Smart program is about. Um, when I talk about firearm deaths, I actually focus on what I consider low-hanging fruit. Um, there are a lot of different overlapping um, issues in our society that contribute to gun violence, you know, poverty and, and you know, other criminal activity and things like that. But what I consider the low-hanging fruit is unintentional child deaths, where children get their hands on a firearm um, when they shouldn't have it and when they're unsupervised. Um, I'm actually of the opinion that children shouldn't basically have their hands on guns at all. But when you are at a range or when you're target practicing, you know, again, I grew up around and on a farm around firearms. And so we were always supervised. And that's what I always try to impart when I talk about it. Um, and I also like to talk about suicides. You know, you talked about one of your initiatives is, is mental health and taking mm-hmm. care of ourselves. Um, a large percentage of um, gun deaths in this country are from suicide. Um, um, almost 60% of gun deaths in the country are actually suicidal in nature. Um, in children specifically, it's about 40% of the wow. child deaths from firearms are suicidal. In, um, and so, and that's, again, if you look at the CDC 2016, it's about 40%. Um, and that number has been increasing in the last handful of years. Um, and 90% of suicide attempts that involve a gun are fatal, whereas that number is remarkably low when you look at other methods uh, that people use to try to take their life. Um, and there's a myth that, um, well, if someone wants to commit suicide, they will find a way. Um, and that's actually not true. And that's a, a myth I actually perpetuated as a death investigator because it, that was my understanding of the issue. But you know, when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And 70 or so percent of people uh, who attempt suicide, do not try again if they survive that attempt. And so not having firearms around when someone is in a mental health crisis can be the difference, uh, can be the yeah. difference maker. Absolutely. Um, Bianca, I just want to be sure I heard this number correctly because I'm a little staggered. 1,900 children died in Georgia alone with a firearm in 2021. 
last year? Well, there were 1,900 total gun deaths in Georgia. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, total gun I'm glad deaths. you clarified okay. that because I might okay. have misspoke. So I'm glad no, you no, clarified. No. Yeah, 1,900 okay. total deaths in Georgia because while the Be Smart program is about um, primarily about preventing childhood death, we do spend a lot of time working with our partners in suicide prevention at preventing all deaths. And as mm -hmm. you mentioned, in for the first responder community and law enforcement, paramedics, you know, all of those individuals, that first responder community, our rate of mental health and suicide is high. Yeah. And yeah. we see uh, the worst of the worst, as you mentioned. And so, um, I, you know, I like to talk about a lot about um, even adults with, uh, you know, that suicidal um, component, because we see so many uh, people die by suicide when those deaths could have been prevented. Um, and again, it's you're, you're preventing a tragedy, no matter the age of your victim. Um, so yeah, 1900 total deaths in Georgia from firearms. In from firearms, yeah. But I mean, still, when you think about it, nearly 2000 people in a state that has 10.6 million is Right. That's, uh, significant. And our, and, yeah. Yes. And our rate is way higher than more populated states. Okay. Um, you know, again, if you look at the, you can just Google the CDC data and it will pop up and show you that our, you know, our rate is significantly higher than say California's. Um, right. You know, even okay. though they have a significantly higher population, population. by on rate, a, ours is a significantly a, higher death rate. Per capita. And then, you know, we think about those, those 1900 individuals, they were part of communities and, and families. And so unfortunately, the, the ripple effect and the impact is literally in, in the thousands, in the higher, yes. much higher thousands by then. It absolutely is. Um, and it doesn't, I, you know, I am um, when I discuss child death of, of any type, I, I equate it to sort of a bomb going off in that family. And so the closer you are to that death, the more of that, that impact you feel but there's that ripple of all of these individuals within that community um, that have to process that. And even someone like me as a death investigator who did not know these individuals personally, we carry that with us. Sure. Um, and so, and it builds up over time. Uh, you know, you see a high rate of burnout in a lot of our first responders. You see a high rate of burnout in child welfare. Mm -hmm. um, there are astronomical turnover rates in child welfare um, because it is such high stress work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've we've mentioned it. We've um, danced around it. Let's get into the the Be Smart program and tell us um, tell us the the purpose and um, you know what people learn from it and and the impact that it can have to keep our children who are our future safe. Yeah, so Be Smart. Uh, Smart is an acronym. It stands for Secure, Model, Ask, Recognize, and Tell. And it is a program um, developed in order to get to our community groups and get to our parents. Um, you know, we frequently say, well, we, we train our kids or my kids grew up around guns. And so I train them, you know, not to handle a firearm or how to handle a firearm safely. Um, but in reality, um, that is not what I see. Uh, you know, every day in my work and what I saw when I was a death investigator. Um, you know, kids and guns just don't mix, uh, plain and simple. You know, guns are highly lethal. That is their purpose. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you add kids to the mix, you're just asking for trouble. And so the first part of Be Smart is secure. The S stands for secure. We want to secure all of our firearms in our homes and in our cars. Um, and secure does not mean hiding that gun in the fridge or on a shelf in the closet. Um, you know, kids are curious by nature. 
Um, and we don't want to train the curiosity out of children. That's what we want from them. We want them to be learners and to be curious about their environment. Um, so we want to do something um, that is certainly more secure and safe than just hiding that firearm. Mm -hmm. um, I myself use a fingerprint safe for my firearms. It only opens for my fingerprint. Uh, my husband has a as well, and his only opens for his fingerprint. You know, we do not um, even can't even get to each other's, each other's. Uh, weapons uh, because it only opens for our fingerprint. And uh, when I do events, I take my safe and I let anybody that wants to try to get into it. Um, and it has proven very, very secure. I've been very happy with the purchase. Um, and so you want those firearms. The most uh, secure way you can store a firearm is unloaded from ammunition. Um, another thing with my um, firearm is I actually don't store ammunition. And don't keep it at my house. When I go to the range, I buy my ammunition at the range. I can store them there, and then I bring my guns home and you know clean them and to do and store them. Um, but I, you know, the safest way is to store them separate from ammunition and unloaded. Um, and then again, I a fingerprint safe. But there are lots of different ways. There are trigger guards and gun locks, and there's a lot of different methods for storage um, out there. And so people can determine what works best for them and their situation. Uh, and again, depending on how many weapons you have, you know, my box that, you know, only holds one or two pistols is may not be big enough for say my stepfather who has, uh, you know, who owns a, a lot more uh, firearms than I do. Um, and so the M stands for modeling good behavior. Um, and so that's the other thing, you know, when I was a kid, I was very lucky to have very good role models when it came to how we safely handled firearms. And we were very, very careful um, with how we use them. And when we were, you know, out hunting, um, or when we were target practicing or that kind of thing. So we model that good behavior for our kids um, and make sure that they understand that, you know, obviously you don't want them to touch the guns and that guns are dangerous. Um, ask is a, is a big one for parents. And one of the reasons we like to target parent groups is that we want everybody to understand that we need to be having this conversation. Mm -hmm. When my children go to someone else's home for a play date or when they go to spend the night with grandma or whatever, I wanna make sure that those individuals know that their firearms have to be secure. Mm -hmm. um, and I ask that question and I make it a part of my normal conversation. You know, this is the medication my child is on. These are any allergies they have. Um, do you have a swimming pool? You know, by the way, do you have any firearms in the home? Yeah. Um, we want to normalize that conversation because sometimes people can, can feel uncomfortable asking those questions. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of the training program that Be Smart uh, puts forth is to have those conversations and to normalize it among parents. Um, we just want our kids to be safe. Um, and 90% of children injured or killed in an unintentional shooting, what, what some people would call accidents. I don't use the term accident when it comes to guns, but in these unintentional shootings, they're shot by another child. Um, and so the vast majority of children who are dying in unintentional shootings are shot by another child. So now you have two families impacted unless it's, yeah. you know, a sibling group. And then you have another child who may not have been injured, but then has to carry that the rest of their lives that they yeah. injured or killed a friend or a family member. Um, and 70% of those shootings occur in the home. So the vast majority of these unintentional events are occurring in the home. And that's something we can easily prevent just by uh, locking up our own firearms and having those conversations with other parents in our sphere about how do we keep all of our kids safe. Mm -hmm. um, and then the R in SMART is for recognize. We want to recognize the role that firearms play in suicide. You know, we talked a lot about suicide already and what those high rates are. Um, but when you have someone in your family that's struggling and, and they're in a crisis, the 
safest thing you can do is remove that firearm from the home. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to remove it permanently, but you can remove it in that moment. So when they're struggling through that crisis, they don't have this very permanent solution to what may very well be a very temporary uh, mental health crisis. Right. Um, And again, other suicide um, attempts um, without a firearm are not nearly as fatal. The numbers are very, very, very low. But with a firearm, it's an incredibly lethal act because of the nature of firearms. Um, And then the final is T for tell. We Mm -hmm. want everybody spreading the word. Just like we're doing today, uh, you know, have those conversations and talk to people, you know, in your friend groups and in your neighborhood uh, groups and your mom's book clubs and, you know, at work and anywhere that you can have those conversations. You know, we just want to normalize that conversation of what responsible firearm ownership and storage looks like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you make such a good point that if a child was going over to a house that had a pool or other sorts of things, we would ask those questions, right? Mm-hmm. Or we would say, you know what, my child doesn't know how to swim. So how are you going to deal with that right. to protect and all that? And yeah, right. they need to always be wearing floaties or they need to always yeah. like when my kids go to the lake um, when they were little, now my children are teenagers and they're both yeah. on swim team and they, they are strong swimmers. But um, my family lives near the lake about an hour and a half south of here. And we grew mm-hmm. up going to the lake all the time. And when they were young, Mm-hmm. They always had a life jacket on when they were yeah. in the lake, no matter what. Yeah. You know, because, you know, lakes are dangerous, you know, lakes are dangerous with little right. kids. So, right. Um, you know, and I'm weird about those things because I was a child <laughs> death investigator for so long. Yeah. And so it's just common sense on how we keep our children safe um, and how we normalize those conversations with other parents and our family members. So, so true. Well, you mentioned that you are eager to spread the message and help other people normalize this conversation. So if someone in our community did want to schedule a presentation for their club, network, friend group, whatever, how would they go about that? The um, easiest thing to do, I'll give you an email address. It goes to our state be smart lead that will side of Cobb County is hearing this, they can also get the message. Um, I'm in Cobb and I'm willing to travel. I'll come, I'll come to wherever, but we have Be Smart trainers all over the state. Um, and if they uh, email Be Smart GA Mom, so B-E-S-M-A-R-T-G-A Mom, M-O-M, uh-huh. at gmail.com, uh-huh. that is our state uh, Be Smart Leads email address. Okay. And that way she can funnel it to the, the nearest uh, trainer that's closest to her. Um, her name is Maggie and she is amazing. She's a former school teacher and is also very passionate about this message. Um, you can always go to besmartforkids.org. That's the main website and you can obtain resources. Um, and there's actually a connect form that would um, get you more information and, and connect you with some of the local activities going on in our area. Uh, but to get the presentation, uh, be smart, GA mom at Gmail is the best way to go. Awesome. Well, we're going to put that in the show notes a couple of times. Well, Bianca, as our time together draws to a close, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you feel we should or that you would like to bring up? No, I mean, I feel like we've covered it. Um, it's just important to remember that when you look at firearm deaths, Again, the media would have us believe or or movies would have us believe that, you know, kids are just getting shot walking down the street. Um, And while certainly there are occasions of that, most of the deaths we see in children, especially, um, are unintentional shootings. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, those are occurring at home or they are suicidal in nature. And so just locking up our firearms at our homes 
can really make a big dent in a lot of the firearm deaths that we see and that can make our homes and our communities way safer just with this one simple act of, you know, keeping our firearms secure. Uh, such great advice for everybody uh, to keep in mind. Bianca, thank you so much for, well, not only for sharing with us about the Be Smart program and, and your passion areas, but what you do every day to protect children here in our community and really across the state and keep them safe. Um, so just thank you for your heart and the career that you have really dedicated, you know, your entire professional life to. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I love to do it. Um, it. I know it sounds crazy, but I love my job. I've always loved it. Um, but I do say that I'm the only person I know that would be happy to go out of business. Yes. So I would be, I'd be thrilled yes. to be put out of business. Um, so yeah, yeah, anything we can do to lower those numbers. Um, if we, if we put me out of a job, I will be just happy as a clam. <laughs> You'll find something else to do. That's yeah, right. For sure. <laughs> and listeners, we thank you for tuning in today. To be sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to our Mind Your Mind Speaks podcast. Also, please ask or please leave us a review on Apple. Please tune in next time as we continue to share information, resources, data to engage and empower our community as we work together to improve outcomes for children and families. Thank you.